Father, thank you for this day and for all of your love and mercy and grace. And thank you that our names are written in the book of life. Help us to live out the days that you have written for us. Help us to hear you clearly and to act according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Matthew twenty four thirty five, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So this book, the contents of it, will be the only thing that remain of everything you've ever known or seen. Except, of course, the people, not these fleshy bodies, though, that you have seen. So, I guess in the sense that we've known each other in the spirit and after the spirit and our soulish, that, that will be alive. But no physical thing except this word. And so I want to do, if, you're gonna, if you take notes, I want to just, uh, I guess I would say this message will be called Consider Your Ways what the Lord put on my heart. But we want to focus in on the importance and the truth of God's word and the fact that it's all that really is true that we know. Anything that aligns itself in contrast or contradictory to this word is, is a lie. No matter what man thinks, and we know that there are a lot of lies that have become commonplace, known as truth or facts in this world. Maybe split right down the middle <laughs> in some areas of our culture on certain things, but people are they're committed many times to their deception. Zealous. Zealously committed. Like they'll fight and die for it. Believing that they're right. That they're on to something. And the devil's favorite thing is to make people think that his way is the godly way. <laughs> Oh man, he loves to throw deception out there. He only has the same tricks he's been using since the Garden of Eden. He just paints them up differently, doesn't he? But he's got a lot of people deceived about a lot of things. Thankfully, we have the Word. And, and we seek to be disciples of this Word. Because a convert is a baby Christian at best. An immature Christian and very susceptible to the deception of the enemy. In other words, if you don't know this truth, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. And then Jeremiah says, it's not within man to direct his own steps. In other words, what it's pointing out is there's, it's just we can't figure this out. And if we try... Without this, without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the Lord, without His truth, we're going to mess it up. And we may mess it up so badly that we could be 
in a predicament like so many in our culture who have built their entire world around a lie or two or seven. And now what? Now when they're confronted with the truth, they consider it hate speech. Because after all, these lies that they've built their lives on, that's who they are. That's what they say. But it's not true. That's not who they are. Because who they are is, don't you know, who, who the, whoever created you, if you're a watch, what you are is what that watchmaker created you to be. You could call yourself a bicycle, but you're a dadgum watch. <laughs> okay. I think you get the point. So only what God says is true. And facts can be changed by the truth. And matter of fact, they are all the time in science. They'll have a set of facts and there's their... It's all based on these facts and this is what they've discovered. And then another fact will show up. And it'll throw off this one and it'll have to change everything. So their facts aren't necessarily true. In Matthew 14... Is that where I told you to go? Yeah. Matthew 14, verse... I'll start at verse 22. This is a familiar passage of Scripture. I'm trying to stick with some familiar stuff. Like last week, we went over Psalm 23. And we just talked about how we meditate on Scripture. And we put it to memory. And how we can recall that truth anytime, anywhere. Mull it over to give us strength, to give us hope, to give us power, to give us whatever it is that we need at that particular time that God has promised through those scriptures. We can recall that because the Holy Spirit will remind us of everything that the Lord has said. And then we can stand on that, right? Anyway, let's read this. Matthew 14, starting at the 22nd verse. This is familiar in that sense. This is when, this is when Jesus walked on the water. And he also allowed Peter to do the same. What a cool gift, right? Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds. He'd been preaching and He sent the disciples across the lake without him. Verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. It's a good thing to get alone and be with the Lord. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Amen. He is our example. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat. By this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So they're going against the wind across the lake. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. (laughs) But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus 
Peter put Jesus in a sort of a predicament here. <clears throat> because it was Jesus. <laughs> you know, there's really no need for Peter to walk on the water as Jesus did. But he threw it out there and I guess he just wanted to indulge him for whatever reason. He decided to allow it. And he said, verse 29, Jesus said, come. One word. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now we know that he got fearful when he stopped focusing on the Lord and he began to sink. And, and then Jesus saved him and challenged him in his faith. But that's not the point today. I want to ask you a simple question. What was Peter, when he got out of the boat to walk to Jesus, what was he standing on? The sea? Can you walk on water? Huh? Not in the natural. I submit to you that Peter was standing on the word of God. That one word from the mouth of Jesus Christ had all of the power in it that Peter needed to fulfill it. The command. Where God guides, He provides. He would have been unjust to tell Peter to come and then laugh when he fell, you know, into the into the sea, and not provide for his well-being. I just want you to think of that. Just get the gravity of that one word. Come now. If the other disciples would have jumped out and scurried to get to the Lord, what would have happened? Do you think they would have sank? They would have sank. It would have been foolish for them to try. Why? Because he had not invited them. He had not told them to come. Jesus made a request of the Lord. He answered with a positive response, come. And in that word was all the power that, and provision that Peter needed to walk on water. Something that is impossible to do without God. Just like another time when he told him to go to the other side of the lake. Let's go over to the other side of the lake. And then he went to sleep in the back of the boat. Big storm broke out. It's raising cane and they got scared and went and mistreated the Lord. One of the disciples did. Basically accusing him of not loving and caring for them because he was asleep and they were all about to drown. I submit to you, there was nothing for him to be worried about. Because he had already said, let's go to the other side, not halfway and drown. And in the words, 
Let's go to the other side was all the provision and protection to get to the other side. All they had to do was trust in his word. That's why he always said, where's your faith? You have little faith. Where's your faith? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We called to a life of faith. We always speak in fear and doubt and unbelief. It shouldn't be that way for a Christian. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus, after he had cursed that fig tree, and they were in unbelief how it had withered up and died at the roots because he cursed it. And why wouldn't it? He told it to. They couldn't, they couldn't figure this out for some reason. If God says it, that settles it. It's done. If it became untrue, everything we know would come undone. And Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, they were worried about this fig tree and how that was so powerful, how he cursed it and it died. Now back up and he said, what? Jesus said in verse 22, have, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, they were talking about a fig tree. He says, look, look at this mountain over here. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, uh, he's assuming that you're going to pray according to his will and not some ungodly thing that's lined up with the devil instead of him. It goes on in this Bible to teach us that if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us and we have the petitions of our prayer. So that's a, a stipulation. He's assuming that you're not going to be praying ungodly things. But if we just believe in our hearts that we've received it when we pray, we have it. And then he goes on and says, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses, forgive them. He didn't want that standing in the way of your prayers. You know... We remember from the book of Genesis when God began to line everything up and to set everything in place and to put into place all of the spiritual and natural laws that govern everything that we know. When he put the plants and the trees and everything in, he says in Genesis 8.22, one of their very fundamental and foundational principles of the Christian life he sets in place in Genesis 8.22 when he talks about the law of sowing and reaping. 
so important. I better just turn over there real quick. Genesis 8, 22. God said, while the earth remains, so it's forever as far as we're concerned in this natural world, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So there's this principle of sowing and reaping. And in the very first chapter, 11 verse, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And so it was. This is a natural principle and also a spiritual principle that will never pass away. They discuss it in the New Testament, talking about making offerings and things like that. But everything that is, is in seed form. And whatever we sow or plant or give, or speak, or do, okay, if you want to take it further, everything, whether it's an action, a gift, a, a monetary thing, uh, or a real seed for a vegetable, or a plant, or something like that. And when you plant that, or sow that, or speak that, or give that, you are going to get a multiplied return. More than you sow, later than you sow, the same kind that you sow. That's why when you plant tomato seeds, you get tomatoes. Cucumber seeds get cucumbers. You sow a dollar, you'll get a return. Some 30, 60, 100 fold return. It's the same principle Jesus used natural examples to explain it to us because he said, if you don't understand this, you won't understand anything about the kingdom of God. He's using money to explain it to the disciples, but he said, this applies to everything. And if you don't get this, you won't get anything. So it's fundamental to the Christian life that we understand the law of sowing and reaping. Because everything that God has put into our care is his for starters. But it's up to us because we have a free will how we use it. Whether it's a gift that he's given us, a talent, an ability, our speech, our money, our time. It's all our love. It's all in seed form. And it's going to produce the same kind that is sown. And it's so the point of is what? If you don't want it coming back, don't sow it. Right? Does that make sense? It's simple. Hits us right between the eyes, but that's that's it, right? Do we believe that? Do you have enough of a track record with God to see how that works? The world calls it karma and stuff like that. Nonsense. It's a spiritual law that God put into place. And it's true. He put it in place to be a benefit for His children. 
This is how he gets provision to us. And knowing that he created us in his image and we're going to become as he is, faith to faith, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, we're going we're to be a byproduct of our salvation. Not, not the root of it, but the fruit of it is going to be love. We're going to sow joy and peace and love and we're blessed to be a blessing. All good things. And he knows as we become more mature in our life as a Christian, all the good we're putting out, he's going to cause it to come back to us by this law of sowing and reaping. Thereby, we live the blessed life. One of the other benefits to being a Christian is that Jesus has paid a high price for us. To, he, he took judgment upon His body. He took the curse upon His body on the tree so that we could live the blessed life that He wanted for us. Amen? So let me tell you one of the benefits to being, to having your name written in the book of life to belonging to Jesus Christ and having everything that He did attributed to you. That's a good thing. If you don't like what you've sown and you don't want it coming back, dig it up. As a Christian, you have the right and you have the ability to believe for crop failure on your own crop. You can dig it up. How? Repent. Repent. If it's a bad seed. Don't let it. Take root and bear fruit. Dig it up. This is what the Lord put on my heart today. And maybe this will make the point. And we'll drive this home a little bit. But it'll help us. If we'll, if we'll take it into consideration. We're considering our ways today. Amen. For our own good. We have, we have control. In the sense that we have a free will. And God wants to steer us and guide us to make the right choices. Because we have, if, there, if we don't like the way things are, we have the power to change them. And He is with us. Amen? When He sat down, He gave us His, his authority, His power to do His will. And His will is good. He went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He was anointed with power and with the Holy Ghost. And now he handed all that over to us and sat down because he was finished, right? Haggai, one of those, they call minor prophets. But if, if this message, here's Haggai. One page. Between Zephaniah and Zechariah. 
So they call him a minor prophet, but if this message helps you, there's nothing minor about that. Amen? Haggai, verse 6. God said to them, the children of Israel, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You ever heard of making ends meet? (laughs) And struggling and it just doesn't seem to happen sometimes? That's what he's talking about. He says, you're wondering how come you, you go out and you sow, you put all the seed in the ground and you barely get anything back. That's not how it's supposed to be and you know it. And I'm here to tell you why now. That's what God's doing. He's saying, you sow, but you don't harvest much. You eat, but it's, it's, you, barely, you barely get enough to eat. You drink, but you don't ever get your fill. He's just giving them enough to, prov- to get by. He's not going to let them die. But they know that something ain't right. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes in it. <laughs> you get a roll of quarters, you stick them into a one pocket with got a hole in it. And hopefully some of them hang in there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's where we're at today. Considering our ways. Amen. Verse 7. And I'm just going to stop right there because I can summarize this for you. The children of Israel had been blessed of God. Still are. (laughs) Tiny little nation. Tiny, tiny little postage stamp of a nation on the map. Surrounded by Huge monsters that hate them. And they can't touch them. They try. They try like crazy and they can't. The United Nations, a big group of nations that meet in New York to talk about the world and running the world. And over half of the resolutions they have ever made in their whole existence have been about Israel. Why do they stay front and center page of the front page for all time? Because God is making that. He wants it like that. He's saying, watch this. That's mine. Those are mine. (laughs) He's making a fool out of those enemies of them. But they were blessed and but something was going wrong. They weren't prospering like they should, but they had what they had done is they had gone and they had all kind of gone off to their own ways. They had left the church, the temple. They had stopped being so involved in community and in the their church activity. There was no church then. This is a temple, but it was before the Lord. But you get the point. And they had all gone their own ways. 
chasing after their own things and their own ways and building their own houses. And he said, you got your paneled walls. And he went, he mocked them and he described everything that they were doing for themselves and how they had built these things for themselves and they had forgot and neglected him. And he says, this is the situation. He said, why don't you go and you get the wood and you get this and that and come back and build me a nice place that I can enjoy. Long story short, they repented. They listened to God. When God talks, He's going to talk to you through a person. This is through Haggai the prophet. When God wants to bless you, He sends a person. He wants us not to be separated. That's the enemy that drives the sheep away and gets them alone, isn't it? They repented. God blessed them. So simple. <laughs> so simple. Tavana and I watched a movie last night. Anyone ever heard of Bart Millard? Ever heard of a Christian group called Mercy Me? That's Bart Millard. Obviously, he's a, there's a group, but it's Bart Millard. I can only imagine. Heard that? That's Bart Millard. That's the movie we watched last night. Yes. I cried like a baby for almost the whole movie. And listen, I... I... Uh, it's about his life growing up and how he got to the point to where this song put him. That's like number one Christian song of all time. And it was it was number one on the, the contemporary charts, the secular charts, the non-Christian stations. It's how big of a song God gave him. But it wasn't always like that. They were a group for many, many years. He about quit. And he was told he wasn't good enough, and he really wasn't at the time. He didn't know who he was, and they didn't either. They'd tell him, like, half the time, you sound like somebody singing a cover song. I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you're singing about. And then there's a glimpses of this, you're in there, because you got a gift. You, you're talented. You, there's, there's a spark of God in there, and we see it once in a while, but then when you realize you're doing it, you... you you back off and it's gone like a, like a vapor. He had hard times growing up. His dad was a monster, basically. And he, just, he describes him that way. He beat him terribly. He ran his mother off. and She left when he was just a little boy, which is something I... Whew. Anyway, it showed a lot of this and all these things and the struggles and the trials. And I, I basically, I, the Lord let me feel every character's pain. From a personal standpoint, as I was, I was uh, Bart, I was the dad, I was the mom, I was the girlfriend, Feeling their pain and, and something similar, you know. And then also, from their standpoint, I felt their pain, you know. And it was amazing because the Lord was just speaking to me through this. And 
the point was that Bart was really wanting what he has now, what that song achieved for him and the level of service to the Lord that it brought him to. He was wanting it desperately, but he could never attain it. He couldn't get there. He couldn't. And so what he was experiencing during this whole struggle and frustration and bitterness and anger and resentment and unforgiveness and all these things... He was wanting for God to use him, but what he really needed to be praying was, God, make me usable. There were some things hindering God. God wants to use him. God wants to use you. God wants us all to fulfill the plan that he wrote for us. But many times there are things standing in the way. And Bart Millard had to go back. And revisit all of this pain. His dad, when he got cancer, he began to love the Lord. He got saved for real. And it was hard for Bart to accept. And here he had been out on the road serving the Lord all his life, just about since he was a kid in church. And that was his hideaway, you see. And his dad said, how come... If God can forgive all these other people, how come he can't forgive me? And it just basically hit him right between the eyes. Bart had to say, God can forgive you. I can't. And it was something he had to do. Anyway, he finally got the father he always wanted and then he was taken away. And and, uh, it was tough, you know, but then God gave him this song after he made his peace and And all those things happened. And Amy Grant was going to release that song. And the night she was going to sing it for the first time to a crowd where they were sending out the tapes to play on all the radio after she did this debut, Bart was in the audience and she said no. She called him up. She said, this isn't for me. It was going to be her big comeback song. And it would have been huge. Which we know she's already wonderful. But how... How much does she love God to hear that and not be selfish and to say, no, this is this is Bart's song. I want you to come up and sing it, Bart. And he did. And the rest is history. But I thought it was a great example of things like this in Haggai when the Lord was saying, here's, you, you know, you, you, you're doing okay. You got your houses. You've done this for yourself. You're seeking this. But you barely, you want more. And you're wondering why it's not there and I'm going to tell you and if you'll get that straight in which they did then he blessed them when we talk about this communion that we take on this first Sunday like we did today you know in that in first Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul talks about this meal he tells us examine yourselves the Bible teaches if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged by God. So, and in another place it says, examine yourselves to see whether you be in the face. So it's good to take a look. And then Paul goes on to say, unless, of course, you fail the test. <laughs> it's like, we don't want that. 
It's good to do a spiritual checkup. If you don't like the harvest that you're reaping, check what you're sowing. Matthew, and we're done here, from the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus reminds us, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What he's saying, when we make sure that we're putting God first, we can be sure that all of our needs will be met, provided for, taken care of in the process, you see. And it's so easy to get off course for those of us who really love God. And next thing you know, we have taken his job back. And we're trying to be God in our lives and maybe just portions of our lives in certain situations and trials. We're going through those valleys. It's good to be up on the mountaintop with the Lord. So peaceful. So loving, so carefree. But life and ministry are in the valleys, you see. And we need to learn to stand on this word, this precious word, because there's nothing more true. There's nothing more powerful. And all of our provision is in the promises contained in this book. Father, thank you for this word and for this day. Thank you for your truth, which helps us in every way. Your word, Lord, is offensive to those who are living apart from it and in opposition to it. But for those of us who love you, Lord, it's a blessing. To be corrected by your word. Because it restores our soul. Gets us back to a place of dependency upon you and your word. Trust in you alone as our God. Our Savior, our Lord. Our provider. Our Jehovah Jireh. God who provides. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. We thank you, Lord, for loving us, and we just surrender all to you now, Lord. We just, we lay down our crowns and our struggles and our burdens and our packs from our back. And we just submit to your Lordship and your leadership and your strength and your love and Thank you for restoring our soul and leading us in the paths of righteousness and beside the still waters. We don't want your job, Father. 
It's too big for us. We just want to be your kids. Show us how to live this life in love and peace and victory. Help us to realign everything in our lives, our relationships, our work, our bodies, our minds, around you, with you at the center. Help us to turn back to you and to put our trust in you and to seek you about everything. And for a time, just every little thing, even things that seem so silly that no one should have to ask, we already know what to do, but help us just to ask you your thoughts on those things and your help for those things so we know who to thank when the answer comes, when the provision comes. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so perfectly and providing for us through your word, through the atonement, so that we could be one with you again. In Jesus' name, amen.